what kind of week you have had, but um, oh, I do that every week. There's been some moments of my week where I'm not going to lie to you, I'll be really honest, where that did not seem evident to me. Moments where you're just like, man, if you're for me, why aren't you showing up? And I think that's something that we all wrestle with sometimes in our lives when different things happen or we see people we love in pain or we plan for some things and it doesn't come off. But I love that we start today's message with that. He's for you. He's for you when you're weeping, when you're mourning, when you're, when you're happy and dancing. And I'm really excited about that. Now, as I said before, we've started off this year uh, kind of planning this whole year to be around a theme for the one. We had our church camp. If you couldn't get to our church camp, we're just making the dates for next year and we're trying to get it a little later on in the year so it's not quite so hot and not quite so hectic. But we had a really great time. It was our For The One camp, and we talked about discipling and lots of fun things for kids, finding lost sheep. Um, we, we really enjoyed it. And the dam opened water skiing was awesome on Sunday. So we are working towards this concept of understanding what ministry is and how we can do ministry around us, the people that God puts forward in our lives. Now, I absolutely hate one size fits all, right? And there's a few times in my life where the very words, one, you know, the letters, one size fits all became quite offensive to me. And the first time that I really didn't like it, well, actually, probably not the first time, I remember when I was a little girl, I loved Barbies, and now I'm really glad that I have nieces because you can unashamedly still play with Barbies. But I remember you used to be able to get the fancy Barbie clothes that cost, you know, a little bit of money, but if you didn't have lots of money, then you could get the Barbie clothes that weren't Barbie, but they were still meant to fit your Barbie. They didn't fit your Barbie. They didn't fit anyone right. But then the next time that I really distinctly remember disliking this one size fits all was on my first trip, mission trip to Cambodia. And you know, when you're in a country for the first time and you kind of got that touristy vibe about you and everywhere I walked, there was people with these funky as like happy pants with elephants on them and really cool stuff on them. And I thought 100% we're in Cambodia, they're not gonna be too expensive. So, you know, Neil will say, yes, let's buy that. And um, so I went to the market super excited to buy these happy pants. I don't know what they're actually called, but that's what we all called them the whole time we were there. And the first market stall I went to, they were like, come in, come in. And we go in and they've got racks and racks of them. And I browsed the colors, looking at how amazing they were. I was so excited because I wanted them before we got to Anchor Wat. Because, you know, like I wanted to fit in at Anchor Wat. I wanted to look the part. And I'm looking through, find the color I like, and I'm like, what sizes do you have? And she's like, no, 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 fits everybody. I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think these pants fit everybody. And I looked and looked and looked, and there could have been some of the one size fits all that I would have been able to get on, but if perchance I bent over at Anchor Wat, I wouldn't have been wearing them anymore. So I left them behind. The second time that I was really slightly, really offended by one size fits all was on year eight camp. 
I went on year eight camp out to Emu Gully and the, the group that I was with was about to go through the tunnels and I was staying at the back because when you're a teacher at Emu Gully, they say, don't get involved, just kind of hang around and watch, watch what they do. And we were at the top of the tunnels and I was at the back and I, I think the, the outdoory was looking at me and going, oh, I, I think she's a bit hesitant and I was, um, great perception. And he looks over at me and he goes, don't worry, these tunnels are one size fits all. And I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, and then, just as he said that, and I 100% did not believe him, I heard a little whimper from the student that was in front of me. And at that precise moment, that student decided that they could not go through these, those caves. And so I very generously and kindly offered to chaperone that student to the end where they would meet up with the others without having to go through the tunnels. So they may be a one-size-fits-all, but I wasn't um, going through to see it. Maybe it's not something like that for you, but have you ever gone to something like a training weekend or a training seminar? And when you looked it up, when you booked, it was like, you know, we're going to cater for everyone's individual needs no matter where you're at, we'll work it out. And then you get into the first session and they go, oh, you know, we know some of you are at the advanced level and we know some of you are just new at this. So we're going to start right back at the beginning for everyone. And you're like, oh, this is like the next two hours of my life that I can't get back again. And I already know what she's going to say. That's happened before. Or maybe you have received a Christmas card in the mail and you're like, yes, so exciting. And you open up the Christmas card and it just has, dear Sarah, the, the Christmas card writing Merry Christmas. And then it's signed and then it has an extra piece of paper in it. And you open up the piece of paper and it's a photocopied duplicate of a very generic letter filled with information, yes, and information that you're most probably very interested in and grateful for. But there's something about that letter that is just not quite as valuable as if they'd filled the whole card with their own handwriting, writing everything about their family. Why? Why does it just seem just slightly removed? And I think it's because it's not personal. When I pick up a garment that says one size fits all, my immediately thing is it actually fits no one. They've made a garment that tailors nobody's needs and no one's gonna be happy about it. They're actually more interested in their product than me. When I get something that, that says it's gonna cater for me but absolutely doesn't, then you're like, well, actually... How they don't that they're not valuing me because they're just sending me or doing this blanket thing and thinking that it's going to make a difference in my life. And the reason why those things feel less valued is because less valuable is because you feel less valued in that moment. This year at Refresh, we want to challenge you to do ministry in your everyday life. We discovered right at the start of this year, we looked at some statistics that are, you know, are shockingly true. We see them played out with our friends, our colleagues and our families. And, and we, we had an understanding that we are living in a time where our world so desperately needs to be presented with a saviour who loves them who cares for them, and how do we go about doing that in our everyday lives? 
How do we stop seeing ministry as something that someone does up the front on a Saturday morning, on a Sunday morning, you know, in a church service on a Friday night, but actually ministry is how they interact with the people around them on an everyday basis. We want you to understand that ministry, reaching people for God, is not a one-size-fits-all process. It's not something that we can go, well, actually, I'm really, really comfortable with doing this. So whoever I meet, I'm just going to do that. You know, actually, whoever I meet, I'm just going to give them this book and say, read it. And that, because I love that and I'm really comfortable with that. In fact, often when we do stuff like that and go here, no context, no nothing, people go, well, hang on, I'm not going to value this because you've given me no context to wrap around this to value. You haven't even asked me, one, if I can read, two, if I actually like reading or if I'm even interested in that process. And so many times the way we approach other people can put up a barrier that stops us from being able to grow and enhance the kingdom of God. God's way to successful ministry when he sent Jesus to this earth was looking at the individual and caring for their needs. He definitely showed us through so many times, particularly in the Gospels, that when you value other people, they will value your message. And one comes before the other. When we care for individuals, it makes a difference. It can open up doors that otherwise would not be opened. Here's the thing. In the Gospels, I've been reading through miracles at the moment, particularly focusing, like I've said, been doing it for a few months now, just focusing on one book for a prolonged period of time. So I'm looking through Mark. And it was interesting during my readings, there's a couple of instances of people, like of the blind being healed. And when I looked at it, I'm like, well, hang on, he just did that back there and he's doing it here, but they're not the same. And so I had to look a little bit deeper going, where else did he hear the blind, heal the blind? And how was that recorded? So today we are going to encounter multiple instances where Jesus restores sight to the blind but they're all different. And we wanna unpack why they are different. Each encounter reveals Jesus' deep understanding of the person that he is standing right in front of. And he has a unique approach to each of them. So let's have a look. If you have got your Bible with you, I want you to open up to Matthew 9, and we're gonna read verses 27 to 31. If you don't have a Bible here today and you would love to have a Bible, if you wanna raise your hand, we would love to gift you a Bible. Um, Wave at Neil and he'll pass it out to you if you would um, like to have one. But before we, we're gonna open up our scripture, but before we do, like we've done every week, I want to encourage someone in our church family here today who is brave enough to uh, say our prayer for us before we open up our words. So someone willing to use a big voice and uh, do our prayer for us today. Oh, there's a hand. Where is it? Yes. Thank you so much. Let's pray together.
Amen. Thank you so much, Dale. All right, let's go to Mark 9. I'm sorry, Matthew 9. Jokes. Go to Matthew 9, and we're going to start at verse 27. Now, I got here today. Here's the, um, here's the personal part. I'll deliver you a little bit into my world. I got here today and was getting my notes together and went, oh, no, I left my large print Bible behind. I'm going to have to squint on stage. So if you see me move this up or back, it's because I'm trying to focus, but let's have a go together. So we're going to start at verse 27. So Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse 27. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men following along behind him, uh, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying. And Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him. We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. But instead they went out and spread his fame all over the region. It's the first encounter that we're looking at today. Two blind men know their conditions. When I first read this, I'm like, funny, two blind men are running behind Jesus. Doesn't say anything about a guide like How were they running? It could have been quite comical. But two blind men were running, following Jesus. They were following him because they had an understanding of who he was, obviously a belief in his power, and they're shouting, mercy, 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 wanting his help. Jesus asks them, do you want to be healed? And at that moment, I'm like, you know when there's some times where people ask a question and you're like, Was that a necessary question? Was that not a necessary question? Of course they wanted to be healed. They're running behind him shouting, mercy, mercy. But this is where Jesus takes a moment to get personal with these two blind men. He knows why they're there. He knows what he's about to do. But he stops in that moment and has a one-to-one dialogue with them and says, hang on, I want to give you a moment to declare what you really want What's going to happen here? I'm gonna give us a moment to connect. And he says, you know, what do you want? And do you believe that they can heal that I can heal you? He gives them a point in time where they can declare how they feel. They get a moment where they can exhibit, demonstrate, speak out loud their faith. And then Jesus moved by their belief, he touches their eyes. With his hands, another point of connection. Jesus responds in this moment to these two blind men with sincere trust and he produces a miraculous intervention. They come together. They work out where they're both sitting. This is what I believe. Well, I am who I say I am and um, this is what's gonna happen and something beautiful comes out of it, an individual response from a saviour that made us unique and continues to treat us uniquely. All right, let's head over to John 9. We'll start at verse 1, so John chapter 9. 
John chapter nine, verse one. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or was it because of his parents' sins? And Jesus responds, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happens so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when there, when, the night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. The disciples saw this situation and went, oh, yay, look at that man that's been blind since birth. Let's see what theological argument that we can draw from this point in time. What lesson can you learn us from the scripture? Surely there's a rule that relates to this. Surely we can understand this. But yet Jesus says to them, this is not what this is about. This is about a man living in darkness, in a world that theoretically is in darkness and I am the light and I am coming to bring light to this world. And today, you're gonna see that light because I'm gonna make this man see again. When others may look at someone as just a passing look, oddity, that's really sad, that happened, let's understand why, Jesus points us to the fact that we don't just learn from people. They're not just a lesson for us. They're individuals that are loved and individuals that need to be met right where they are at. And in that moment, Jesus reaches down, spits into the mud, scoops it up like a mucky paste and puts it on his eyes. That personal touch again and then says, go and wash it off. And he did, and he came back, and he could see. It wasn't about a spiritual dilemma. Jesus corrected the disciples and said, this is about one man living in darkness. And we know, we've seen that we live in a world where so many people around us live in darkness. Jesus chose close proximity and compassion, compassionate touch, to bring this man sight. He could have just said, open your eyes, dude, but he didn't. He chose to value him in that moment, to come close to him, to use his own saliva to make the paste that would clean his eyes. Now I want you to skip to Mark, Mark chapter eight. And we're going to read from verse 22 to 26. 22 to 26 in Mark chapter 8. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. 
and they begged him to touch the man and heal, and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I, I, I see people, but I, I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. And then Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. A different encounter with the same ailment and the same Jesus, the same saviour, but a different process. And there's a few parts in this particular passage that I really love and I think are worth just kind of sidetracking just for a moment. We read right, right at the start in this place that the blind man is bought by a friend. And I think it's so important for us to note and understand that spiritual friends, friends that we can share our spirituality with, friends that we are comfortable enough to say, I can't find my way to the Savior at the moment. Can you take my hand and lead me there? Are really important. Nurture and encourage those friends, those people around you that can lead you back to your Savior in a moment where you might not be able to. And unlike the other instances where Jesus used saliva and touch, here he employs a different method. It's kind of a gradual healing. It's a one step, then a two step, second step. And the thing that we don't understand, but we absolutely know that Jesus understands is that when he looked at that man and decided to go, I'm gonna make this healing a process of two steps, in his head, he would have been able to go for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason, and this reason, because I know him. I know the best way to do this. I know how to do this that's gonna make him feel loved and valued and individual with brilliant uniqueness. And he does it in a different way. Jesus understands when he looks at him that this man's condition requires a distinct approach. And he demonstrates his sensitivity to his individual needs. I love too, there's a part in there where it says, Jesus grabs the blind man's hand, effectively now taking the place of his guide. He takes his hand, the blind man, and while he is still blind, walks with him outside to the outside of the town and there, he delivers his feeling, his healing. Look, there's many reasons. We don't know why he did that. It could be at this point in time, he's, he's trying to safeguard the effectiveness of his ministry by not shouting it from the rooftops and being, you know, just covered and swamped by people. It could have been that he looked at this man and said, I know you, this is not the place, come with me and walked him to a place where he was happy and satisfied to deliver that healing. 
That gives us a picture of a Jesus, a saviour, a God that sent his son to deliver a personal touch to us in this world. And it's story after story where this happens. The last one, let's go to Mark 10, and we're going to start at verse 46 and read to 52. Mark 10, 46 right down to 52. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come to me. So they called the blind man, cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. It's a picture of someone that is so desperate, that has lived with their condition for so long that there's really no hope. And the only hope is you sit in a place where you can beg and maybe people will give you money. But if perchance you are in a place where you hear that Jesus is walking by, His reaction is, he shouts all the more louder. Why? Because clearly he knows who Jesus is. He understands that there is something good that can potentially happen to him. He's crying out. He's at a place where he knows who Jesus is. He knows the power that Jesus has, but he's not with him. He's not friends with him. He's not connected, but he is already keen as to make whatever progress he can to get close to a saviour that he knows can heal him. So he takes the opportunity and he starts shouting and everyone around him is pretty much going, don't be ridiculous, be quiet, stop shouting, who cares about you? But this man goes, no, I care about me and I care about what he can do. So he shouts even louder, propelling himself on a journey towards Jesus Christ. And then Jesus notices where he's at. He notices his desire. He notices his longing and stops and turns and says, hey, go and get him. Bring him here to me. And then they have a moment. This time, there's no saliva. There's no mud. There's no touching. There's a question. What do you want me to do for you? And I think in that moment when Jesus asks that question, he looks into that man and in that moment there's an exchange that goes, I know you know who I am. 
And I know who you are. What's gonna happen here today? What do you want from me? What do you believe that I could give you? He could have asked for money. He could have asked for a home. He could have asked Jesus to lead him back to his house because it's really hard getting there as a blind person on your own. But he doesn't. He says, I wanna see. He's reaching out towards the Savior, already propelling himself on a journey. And Bartimaeus receives not only physical sight, but he receives the spiritual insight and an understanding that when you have faith, it counts. When you have faith in a saviour and you believe that he can do all things, it counts. It makes a difference. Four different blind men. Not all the same. In Bartimaeus' case, we see that he hears just a word of a saviour and he's already trying to make a way to propel himself towards Jesus. And you will see that kind of thing in the people that you work with, in your family or your friends. You might come across someone that just kind of casually slips into, you know, a conversation. Oh, I heard you go to church. Do you know what? They're already on that journey. God is already working in their lives. When they speak of spiritual things, that is Jesus at work. And in that moment, it's our role as ministers to jump on board and respond. Acknowledge their journey. Acknowledge the faith that it even took for them to to bring up that conversation with you and go, man, you're already on this journey, but I'm happy to walk alongside you. Let's go. What can we do with this? And then you hear, similar to that, two people, you know, in our first, that are running along behind Jesus going, whoa, hang on, don't leave us behind. You've still got some work to do here. We will come across so many people in our daily lives that maybe have experienced Christ, maybe have seen what he's done, and they're just running after him, holding on, going, maybe, 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 maybe that's our last chance. And we are commissioned as followers of Jesus, as disciples, to minister to that kind of need. And then there's other people that are more quiet, that have those moments, a different healing where a physical touch needs to take place. And you know that you will come across certain people too. And when you ask God to lead you, when you ask him to show you the people that need him, there will be moments when you sit beside someone and an overwhelming feeling of compassion comes upon you like it did to Jesus and you go, How can I protect and heal? How can I gather that person into my space? How can I gather them into my family? How can I gather that person that's sitting out on the edge and maybe running five or six steps behind all the rest of us that are on this spiritual journey? How can I turn around like Jesus did, look back, recognize where they're at and come along beside them? In your friendship group, particularly you guys, you know, with weeks of worship, we just had Converge. If you were any of those kind of things, then you'll know that people had a spiritually high moment at that time. 
And it's up to us to make sure if they kind of feel like they're falling away or they just can't catch up, that we turn and notice and look after them. But why does it matter if we do that or not? Why does it matter if we choose one way or another? Wouldn't it be just okay if we sat as a church board and went, okay, well, we really love doing this. And so that's what we're gonna do in 2024. This is the way we're gonna evangelize to everyone. We're gonna have a big meeting that goes for five nights and we're gonna get people... Does it really matter if we do that in 2023 and 2024 and 2025 and 2026? Well, it matters to some because to some, that is not where they're at. And it may work for some and that's brilliant. So we need to try that, but we need to understand that we need to go beyond. We need to see people as individuals, recognize where they are and then nut out and think out, how can I make that person feel individually valued? How can I make that person feel seen, acknowledged? It matters. Jesus demonstrates through his ministry, all through the gospel, his methods of how he connected and reached people. And if he takes the time to share that with his disciples and the disciples record it, then they're his teaching moments. And I think us as disciples of Jesus Christ need to recognize them as teaching moments for us too and learn from them. I believe that is crucial for us to understand how Jesus met individual needs, met people personally, because the reason why he was demonstrating that is because he knew that there was a time when he wouldn't be here to do it. And so he commissioned his disciples, his followers, you and I, to learn about his ministry, his methods, practice them, and deliver them, practice them, use them to a world who needs us. We don't just do this in the one way that we feel comfortable, the one way that we've learned. It's not a one size fits all, we do it individuals. The funny thing is, when you read through all of Jesus' uh, miraculous things that he did, none are really that similar. Even the ones that seem quite close to each other, like feeding, you know, feeding lots of crowds twice that happen, each time there's a little bit of difference. Why, you wonder? Because he's God, you know, on earth, in flesh, he could have gone to, you know, the little boundary sign at the beginning of every town. He could have just like walked to that boundary sign and gone, you know what, God, I just wanna pray today that you will heal everybody in the town of this. He could have walked to Jericho, stood at the outskirts sign, prayed over that city and all would have been well. He could have walked to Bethlehem. He could have walked any other biblical name that is hard to pronounce in the Bible. He could have stood at the entryway to that town and prayed that his father would heal every single ailment that was in that geographical space. And it could have happened, but he didn't. And I think he's calling you and I to not make that same mistake. He showed us that individuals matter and they need to matter to us too.
I want you to think of your ministry. Some of you were here when we first launched our For The One campaign and you've got a little magnet on your fridge with someone's name written in it. Or it might be blank because, you know, and you know who is, you're praying for that. For some of you, it'll be your colleagues, your family, your friends. I know for me, I walk past my fridge and it's a great reminder to go, hang on, I'm, how am I intentionally getting to know that person, finding ways that I can value them. So in your ministry this year, and if you weren't here for that launch, we've just asked our church community to pinpoint and choose some people that they believe need Jesus in their life, that Jesus could make them better at life and make their life better and work and pray over that person So think of your ministry, who's the person? Who are the people? Who's the family, the friend, the son? Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Think of those people that are valuable enough to you that you want to place value back on them and share Jesus with them. Think about how you're presenting Jesus. Is it just, you know what, I texted them once, say, hey, here's the verse of the day, and they responded with like a smiling emoji, so clearly that works, and so for the next 10 years, all you've done is spam them with the verse of the day. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but is it moving someone on a journey? Is it going, I know that worked for you that day? Well, actually, let me work out why that worked for you. It's the next conversation. You sent me that emoji. What, what made you smile in that verse? Hey, why don't you share that with someone else? It's taking those next steps, taking someone on a journey. Jesus demonstrates all through his gospels the vital truth That is when we value others, they value our message. And boy, don't we have a message? Don't we have something that's worth tailoring and shaping so that we can place it in every individual's hand and they see a picture of God that speaks to their needs, that speaks to their heart, where they're at and what they're doing? We have an amazing message about a God that loved everyone individually, that he sent his son to die in their place so that they could live for eternity. When we show people that they matter, they will value our message more. When we value them, they'll value our message. And this message is important. It's life-changing. It's life-giving. So I've made you a bit of a to-do list this week. So this week, because I love the fact that you can open up your Bible, read something in it, And then if you change your behavior, if you tweak anything, if you have a conversation, if you read further, if you look further, if reading this Bible and then you change something, you know what? The Bible has changed you. And that's the power that it has. So here's your to-do list this week. Because what's the point of learning and reading without applying 
nothing really gets done. Nothing really happens when we just hear, but we don't put out. All right, so here we go. This week, for those of you that have got a name written down on your For The One card on your fridge, and for those of you that don't have that but can think of someone in their sphere, I want you, your challenge in the next seven days is to make time, intentional time, to meet up with them, give them a call, share a meal, have a round of golf. I don't know, you work out what their needs are. Go and play trivia with them. Make an intentional moment where you can connect with each other and share something together and demonstrate your value to them. It could be a text. It could be you do send them something, a letter, just make it personal. Um, But I really want you to see this as something. When you do this, your discipleship journey is on its way. And you're already on that pathway, but sometimes we go, yeah, yeah, I'm a follower. Yeah, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. But yet, we don't act. So here we go. This week, some lives are gonna be changed. Some connections are going to be made because you have intentionally said, I will spend time with that person. And I'm not saying you have to spend time with that person and this is how you rock up and you know, you've like, circled 50,000 Bible verses and you're gonna about spend the next hour going through with them. If that's where they are at, then yes, do it. With God's guidance, sit and be in the word with them. But for some of you, you'll be able to recognize that that individual is not at that space yet. So give them a call, go and have a coffee or a cup of tea, anything. If you've got a friend that you wanna connect with, Anything can do it. You can connect over, hey, why don't you come over to my house because for the rest of the day, I'm just folding this monumentous pile of clothes. Do you wanna come and talk to me while I'm doing that? Because it'll go much faster. I've connected many a time over folding washing. And if, look, there's anyone here that would like to connect with me this week over my washing, um, you just let me know. I'll share it with you anytime. Um, You can come and fold at my house anytime. So the next step, step number one, work work out what it is, intentionally connect with that person. Step number two, you saw about it this morning. I want you to go onto your YouVersion app, join up, set us as your home church, and then come along with us on the journey this week we're looking at multiply. And it's actually, um, it's kind of based from a book that I, I read a few years ago and I really, really loved reading. It's all about discipleship. It's for the next seven days. We can journey together. And it, it's a really, gives us a really kind of understanding of, hang on, what's my picture of what a disciple is? How is it working in my life? What does discipleship look in my church? How can I enhance that? How can I jump on board with that? So they're the two things that I want you to do. Intentionally make time with that person because we wanna make a difference with that person this week. We want to get closer and connect and then jump on and discover God's word with us this week. My saviour and your saviour never, ever, ever, ever saw us as a collective mass of people. He doesn't do that. He looks in this room and doesn't just go, oh, there's refresh. He goes, oh, 
There's Jared. Yay. There's Kobe here today. Yay. Oh, look, there's that. He sees us as individuals. He never saw us as a collective mass, but as unique individuals with distinct needs, struggles, and hopes. He demonstrates that over and over again in the Bible. For restoration to take place, that coming together of God's people and their God, we need to be part of the process. We're called to be part of it. We're commissioned to be part of it. Value the people around you enough to get to know their needs, their struggles, their hopes, and their dreams, and create a space where you can share the good news of the gospel. And my prayer continually this week will be that you will set aside time to embrace another person with love, compassion, and willingness to meet them exactly where they are at. And we have the opportunity to offer healing, to offer restoration when we get them in touch with the God that has done so much to us. And we can come back and be here next week and we can know that a difference has been made because we stepped into that space of valuing others. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your Bible, for your word, for the stories that are in it, for the variety that shows us and demonstrates that you're not a one-size-fits-all God, that you look at us individually and love us individually. When our hearts break, so do yours. Lord, open our eyes this week to see the people that you place in our path and help us to recognize our ministry opportunities to share the good news, to let people know they're loved and valued. And may your kingdom grow this week because of our ability and our desire to say yes to being your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.